1 Corinthians 6, we read, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. That was the price of Jesus' precious blood. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks and praise to you today. And I ask that now, as we open your word, uh, that we would not only open our Bibles, but we would open our hearts to receive from you. Lord, come in. Come into our hearts. By your Holy Spirit, move through this congregation. That we would be a people who hear, who trust, and who obey. We can only do this through the power of your grace. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you that we have the forgiveness of sins and the Holy Spirit. So that we can walk, so that we can live to your glory and to your honor today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it is good to be here this morning. It's good to see each and every one of you here with us uh, this morning. I have to say, starting off this morning, that I, I'm very grateful, very grateful for my wife. Uh, she is an amazing lady, and she's in Montana uh, today. Uh, she went with my daughter Kaylee to visit cousins. And uh, so this morning, I had uh, the great privilege of getting the kids ready for church. I never knew it was, it was such a, a difficult and, and, uh, and painful task to, to brush, to brush a, a seven-year-old's hair that hasn't been brushed for, because my wife's been gone for about a week. <laughs> so that was my morning, and I, I really do, uh, just especially to parents who get out of bed and get the kids ready and come to church, wow, I applaud parents. And I applaud my wife, and I love my wife so, so much. Not only for what she does, but for truly who she is and the, uh, the love and support that she gives to me. So we welcome you here in Jesus' name. And I want to tell you today, first of all, that your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is in Jesus. Uh, as 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. You're not your own. Your identity is in Jesus. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Your identity is in Christ. He loves you. He bought you at a price. Jesus paid to make you his very own because he loves you. He loves you so much. So your identity is in Jesus. Your identity is not in your marital status. Your identity is not in your social standing. Your identity is not in your ethnicity. Your identity is not in your gender. Your identity is in Jesus. That's who you are. Bought at a price. Loved by Jesus. And because your identity is in Jesus, you're called to reflect the image of God. As one whose identity is in Christ, it is your, it is your ambition and it is your calling to reflect the image of God in this world. You see, because our identity is in Christ... 
We, we once again bear the image of God. The image of God which we lost at the fall when Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. When they chose to believe the lie of the serpent and they, became, and they, and they fell into sin. Uh, humanity lost the image of God. But now through Jesus, through the cross, the image of God in you has been restored. So now you can reflect the image of God to this world. Before Adam and Eve fell into sin, they were, they were like a mirror that reflected the image of God to the world. They reflected the image and the character of God to the world. But when Adam and Eve sinned, the mirror was flipped around. And they began to reflect the character and the, and the nature of who they were as a fallen and broken and sinful people. And without Christ, that's who we are. Uh, without, without Christ, without our identity in Him, all we can reflect is the brokenness of our sinful condition. But when Jesus comes and He gives to you the promise of the Gospel that He died upon the cross to take away your sins and that He rose again to give you everlasting life, once again for you and I, the mirror can be flipped back around and we can now once again reflect the nature of our Creator to a world that is lost, a world that is hurting, a world that desperately needs God, the love of God, the forgiveness of God, the redemption that He offers. And, and here we are as a, as a people redeemed by Christ, as people saved by Christ, we can now reflect His image to the world. But, but yet we still live in the messiness of this, of this world. And, and so often I'm not reflecting the image of God, the image of Christ to the world. But, but so often I, I flip the mirror back around. And so that to the world and, 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 and before God, I'm, I'm not reflecting His image. Because I continually struggle with the messiness of life, with the temptations of sin. And with all the garbage that's going on in our world. As a way of weighing us down and, and we flip the, the mirror around once again. And we no longer bear the image of Christ to the world. You see, we, we live in a messy world. And the series of this message uh, through 1 Corinthians is a messy church, a perfect Savior. So, so we, we declare that, that the church is messy because we are a people who still have a sinful nature. And because of that sinful nature, oftentimes we as individuals and we as a congregation, we're not reflecting the, the glory of the image of Christ to the world, but we're reflecting to the world and to one another our sinful nature. And this was the case in the church in Corinth.
The, the Corinthian church, that church 2,000 years ago was a messy church because they struggled with sin. And, and I believe that Paul's uh, goal in writing this letter is that they would have certain issues figured out, that they would come to a right understanding about, about certain things in life. So as those who reflect uh, the image of Jesus, the, to, uh, as those who can reflect the image of God, what does it look like? Does reflecting the image of Christ mean that we make a clean separation from the world? Does that mean that we, that we have to separate ourselves from the world and go out and live? Maybe in some sort of a monastery? Maybe move out into the wilderness to separate ourselves from the, from the everyday activities of life? Is that what it means to reflect the image of our Creator? That we escape the real world, isolate ourselves so that we can devote ourselves to prayer and to the Word and never have any interaction with the world. In medieval uh, times, it was thought that those who truly connected to God or who were a true uh, reflection of God isolated themselves from the ordinary uh, aspects of life. They would isolate themselves in, in monasteries. They believed that for a person to have a good connection to God required removal from the hustle and bustle, the hustle and bustle of, of children. Combing out that tangled hair. Changing those dirty diapers. Going to work. Going to the market. Managing livestock and fields. They believed that in order for a person to be truly connected to God, they had to separate themselves from the ordinary work of life and isolate themselves somewhere in a monastery so they, they wouldn't be bugged or bothered by the ordinariness of life. And there they could devote themselves to God. They didn't think it, it was enough to go into your prayer closet for a short amount of time and, and, and then go to work. They believed that a person needed continual connection to God through undisturbed meditation and prayer in an undisturbed environment. And one of the, the great gifts of the Protestant Reformation was the recovery of the dignity of ordinary work. Recovering the dignity of ordinary work. In other words, that we are called to reflect the image of our Creator in the ordinary aspects of daily life. They're reflecting... The image of our Creator being a reflection of Christ in the world isn't just about going to church. Although this time that we spend on Sunday mornings is so important. The, the, the reflecting the image of Christ wasn't just about spending time in your prayer closet. But they believed they're reflecting the image of Christ, and they taught in the Protestant Reformation, which is scriptural, they're reflecting the image of Christ is about living out our lives seven days a week, whether at work or with family, in worship or playing, 
That in every aspect of life that we would reflect the image of our Creator. You're redeemed by Jesus. Your identity is in Jesus. You were bought at a price to bring glory to God, not just here on Sunday, but every day of the week. To be a person who bears the image of the Creator. To be a person who contributes to the good of the world. This is what you're called to be. A person who contributes through your ordinary vocations in life. And that through your ordinary vocations in life, you bring glory and honor to God. And you reflect the Creator. So worship isn't just for in here, it's for out there. The military soldier is stationed somewhere. Stationed here in this country or stationed somewhere in the world. In God's kingdom, God has called you. He has stationed you into a particular situation in life. So in the same way, the military, the, the person who serves in the military is stationed, you have been stationed in this world. You have a calling from God. You have a calling to serve in His kingdom. And we call these vocations. Sometimes we think of vocation only as a job. But a vocation is more than a job. It's every responsibility that you're given in life. Are you a spouse? You have a vocation to your spouse, a calling to your spouse, a responsibility to your spouse. Do you have children? You have responsibility to those children. Do you have parents? You have a calling, you have a vocation to those parents. So think of every responsibility in your life. But don't think of them just as, as ordinary things that don't matter to God. Think of the ordinary things in life as God's calling upon your life. An opportunity to reflect His glory and His image to others. So let's look at our reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 today. We're going to begin today with the 17th verse. First uh, Corinthians chapter 7 is a long chapter. And, and it deals with, with two, really two, uh, a couple of different issues. But I thought that the whole chapter was summarized in, beginning with verse 17 through verse uh, 24. So we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 17 today, beginning or chapter 7, beginning with the 17th verse. So reading in Jesus' name. And here's the point that I was making. Nevertheless, each person should li live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. You get that? Each person should live as a believer in whatever situation the Lord has assigned to them. Just as God has called them. And he says, this is the rule I lay down in all the churches. So point number one is this. View your situation in life as a calling from God. 
View your situation in life as a calling from God. Whatever that situation is. Wherever God has stationed you right now. Don't view it as being unimportant or insignificant. View it as a calling from God. Specifically from the context of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this call is to live faithfully to your spouse. If you read, and I hope you do read the context of all of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, to live faithfully to your spouse, or to live faithfully as a single person. That's really what Paul is addressing specifically, and then a number of other things which we'll pick up here in this, in this, uh, in this passage that we're going to read today, is that, is that the spouse is to be faithful, and the single person is to be faithful. And it, it really isn't, isn't the concern of, 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 the, of the married, it shouldn't be the concern of the married person to change their status, as a married person, it shouldn't be really the, the, the ultimate concern of the single person to change their status as a single person. But to be who you are right now in whatever situation or whatever station God has placed you in in life. To some, God has given the calling of being a spouse. And you're to be faithful to your spouse. To others, God has given you the calling of being single. If you're married, great. Certainly do not seek to be separated from your spouse to devote more attention to God. You devote your attention to God when you devote your attention to your spouse. And if you're single, don't get stressed out about finding a spouse. You know, you don't need to be stressed about being single today. But Paul does say that if a person cannot control his sexual passions, then yeah, you need to get married rather than fall into the sin of fornication. But this applies to more than married life and single life. This applies to every responsibility you have in life. The point is this, be content in whatever situation you are today. God has stationed you where you're at today for a reason. Don't waste that situation you're in today in order to try to change things. Be content with where you're at today. God has given you today where you're at today in life to reflect His glory. So now let's get into the next verse. Paul is more specific. He moves on from the issues of married life and single life. In verse 18, he says, Was a man already circumcised when he was called? Paul says he should not become uncircumcised. Was a man circumcised when he was called? He should not be circumcised. So point number two for verses 18 and 19 is this. There's no need to add anything to your identity in Jesus. There's no need to add anything to your identity in Jesus. You see, in, in the Old Testament, male circumcision was commanded by God. Uh, when, a boy, when a baby boy was eight, eight days old, they, 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 and they still do today, they, they take him to the rabbi and, oh man, snip, snip, and probably a lot of crying. 
Circumcision was the sign of, of God's covenant with Abraham. It was unthinkable, and it still is unthinkable, for a Jewish male to not be circumcised. And today, when a male converts to Judaism, the same thing has to happen. But we trust that, that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. That, that if we have Jesus, we don't need anything else. And many were teaching during Paul's day that in order to be a faithful Christian, you had to undergo this rite of circumcision. And, and we may, probably not circumcision, but we, would, we may be tempted to add something more to our faith in Jesus. We may be tempted to say, I need to add something to Jesus. To do more. To be more. You already have all that you need in, through faith in Christ. You don't need to add anything to what Jesus has already promised to give you today. Your identity is in Jesus. You're saved. You're forgiven. You're His child. There's nothing that you can add to what Christ has already given to you. So point number two, there's no need to add anything to your identity in Jesus. No need at all. In uh, verse 19, Paul writes, Circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing. But what does he say? Keeping God's commands is what counts. Keeping God's commands is what counts. So point number three. The commandments show us how to reflect Jesus' image. The commandments show us what, it's, what, what God's character is really all about. So the commandments show us how to reflect the image of Jesus. God's Old Testament ceremonial law was, was done away with. The old ceremonies of circumcision and of certain dates on the calendar. Restrictions from eating certain foods. That was all done away with. But God's Old Testament Ten Commandments still stand today. We are still called to obey God's commandments. God's commandments are our moral obligation. God's commandments are a reflection of the character and of the nature of God. The commandments can be summarized in one word. What's that word? Love. To obey the commandments is to love. To love God. And to love your neighbor. The first three commandments deal with what does it mean to live in a right relationship with God. To obey God in our relationship to Him. What does it mean to love Him? Well, the commandments teach us. What does it mean to love our neighbors as ourselves? The commandments teach us. Who is God? God is love. And when we obey the commandments, we reflect God's image. So the commandments show us how to reflect Jesus' image. And now verses 20 through 24. 
Here Paul says again in verse 20, each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. You get that? Each person should remain in the situation they were when God called them. Then he says in verse 21, were you a slave when you were called? He says, don't let it trouble you. But then he says this, although if you can gain your freedom, he says, do so. Verse 22, for the one who was a slave when called to faith in the Lord is the Lord's freed person. Similarly, the one who was free when called is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. He says, do not become slaves of human beings. Brothers and sisters, each person as responsible to God should remain in the situation they were in when God called them. So point number four for verses 20 through 24 is this. There's nothing wrong with improving your life. Paul says to the person who's in slavery, if you can gain your freedom, gain your freedom. No human being should be held as a slave. So if you're able to to gain your freedom, gain your freedom. So there's nothing wrong with improving your life. But so long as you don't lose your identity in Christ. I think there's a real danger in losing our identity in Christ in the pursuit of improving our lives. I think that one of Hollywood's favorite plots is the person who becomes rich, famous, the person who becomes a great success in this world, but in their pursuit of improving their life, of becoming rich or famous or successful, they lose those things in life which are most important. So we can be so focused on improving our lives, getting that better job, getting that promotion, getting that better car, bigger house, Seeking material things, we can be so focused on that that we end up losing that which is most important. So it's vital, church, that as we seek to improve our lives, we don't lose our identity in Jesus. That we understand that our identity in Jesus is that which is most important. You see, Jesus says in Matthew 16, 26, he says, What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Many people are so focused on, the, on improving their situation in life that they lose their relationship with God. So focused, their time, their energy, their efforts are focused on the pursuit of things that don't last, that they forfeit their soul. You see, you have everything that you need in Jesus today. When you seek your identity by gaining more, you run the risk of forfeiting that which is most important. Did you know that you don't need anything else? You have everything that you need today 
in Jesus. Then point number five is this. Reflecting your identity in Christ uh, in the ordinary situations of life is holy. It's holy. So reflecting your identity in Christ, whatever situation you're in today, even the ordinary tasks of life, combing that hair, changing that diaper, going to that job, whatever it is, Reflecting your identity in Christ in the ordinary situations of life is holy. One of the great truths that was resurrected at the Protestant Reformation, once again, was a theology of work. Some people believe the same thing today, that that if you're really going to serve God in impressive ways, you have to be in the ministry. You have to be a preacher or a missionary. Because those are the people that really impress God through their work. Me? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a laborer on a work site. Somebody might say, uh, all I do is I frame houses or pour concrete. You know, that, that isn't meaningful work. All I do is, is work as, as an accountant, crunching numbers. That, that really doesn't matter to God. One of the truths that, that we gained during the Protestant Reformation is, is that all work is holy. All work is meaningful and brings glory to God. Those who change diapers, who milk cows, who saw lumber, who work at a fish cannery, those who work as accountants or work in information technology, they're doing holy work. Their work is holy. Martin Luther insisted that ordinary work is a holy calling. Martin Luther insisted that the farmer shoveling manure and the maid milking her cow pleases God as much as the minister preaching and praying. Further, as we work in our God-given situation in life, we become agents of God's providential care. You see, Martin Luther says, God is milking the cows through the vocation of the milkmaid. Through our hands, God answers the prayer of his children. We pray for daily bread at night. But the baker rises in the morning to bake it. The same holds true for clothing, Luther says. God gives the wool, but not without our labor. If it's on the sheep, it makes no garment. Humans must shear, card, and spin. Through our work, the naked are clothed. Through our work, the hungry are fed. The sick are healed. And through our work, Luther says, we please our maker. And we love our neighbor. So ordinary work is holy because through ordinary work we serve our neighbor church you belong to Jesus he purchased you not with silver or gold but by his precious blood shed upon the cross you are his you are his and because you belong to Jesus you are free you're free today in Christ you're free from having to earn your salvation through your good works.
You see, what Jesus did upon the cross is more than enough. So you're free in Christ. You're free from the guilt of sin. Your sins are forgiven. But your freedom in Christ is not to be used as an opportunity for the flesh. Paul says in Galatians 5, he says, you're free in Christ, but do not use your, your freedom as an opportunity in the flesh, but rather serve one another. So your freedom in Christ is a gift given to you that you might serve one another in love. Not to use your freedom for yourself, but to use your freedom in Christ for others. So may we as a free people, forgiven of all of our sins, redeemed by Christ, may we be a congregation that goes from this building into the ordinary situations and stations of life to reflect the image of our Creator. We don't have to do anything big. We don't have to do anything flashy. We simply live in the situation that we're in today as a reflection of Christ. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Thank you for teaching us through your word. And I pray that through this word today that's given to us, that we truly would live as a reflection of who you are. Help us, Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit. To live faithfully. To live as one called by you. In every situation and every station of life. Thank you that you empower us by your Holy Spirit to do this. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.